The Brooklyn Vegan Show is a podcast about music brought to you by the music blog and online record store Brooklyn Vegan. Make sure to subscribe to hear all of our upcoming episodes featuring interviews with musicians and more, and find us 24-7 at brooklynvegan.com, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey, welcome to the new episode of the Brooklyn Vegan Show. I'm BV editor Andrew Sacker, and today's episode is an interview with Bob Nana and Chris Broach of the band Braid. If you're unfamiliar, Braid were one of the most important emo bands of the 90s, and they've remained one of the most influential bands on the genre for over 25 years straight. One of the big reasons that I gave Bob and Chris a call for this chat is that their classic 1998 album Frame and Canvas turns 25 this year and Braid are celebrating with a reissue that's been remixed and remastered by the album's original producer, Jay Robbins of Jawbox, as well as their first live shows in seven years. I caught Braid the last time they reunited, around which time they put out their comeback album, No Coast, a very, very good album. And Braid were awesome at those shows and I'm really stoked to see him again on this tour. Frame and Canvas is a great record. It's one of my personal favorites of all time, as well as an album that's rightfully on just about every list of the best emo albums that you'll ever find. I mean, if you haven't heard that record and you're listening to this podcast, I highly recommend just checking that out and then listening to this episode because it's it's a really, really great record. And we, we spend a lot of this episode talking about that album. We also talk about a lot of Braid history from Chris and Bob's musical upbringings to when they met each other and formed Braid and landed on the sound that ultimately became the classic sound of Braid in general and Frame and Canvas. Chris reminisces on being high school classmates with the members of Cap and Jazz. Bob talks about being starstruck when they entered the studio with Jay Robbins. They get into why Braid broke up in the first place. They talk about the emo explosion of the 2000s as well as the emo revival of the 2010s and much more. It was a super fun chat, and um, I'm really excited for you to hear it. Also, Brooklyn Vegan has an exclusive white, clear, and blue splatter vinyl variant of the original mix of Framing Canvas that's limited to just 300 copies, and you can pick up a copy in our store, shop.brooklynvegan.com. You can also find the link in the description of this episode. Before we get to the episode, a little bit about our sponsor, DistroKid. DistroKid is a service for musicians that allows you to easily upload your music to all major streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Music, and more. DistroKid allows you to do automatic revenue splits so collaborators and co-writers can get paid too. It provides you with an artist page that links to your music on all streaming services. It allows you to add lyrics, credits, and liner notes, and more. You can get 30% off of your first year's membership by signing up at distrokid.com VIP slash brooklynvegan. We've also included the link in the description of this episode, and you can click directly from there. And now, my chat with Bob and Chris from Braid. Hey guys, what's up? Welcome, Bob. Thanks for having us. Chris, what's up? Hey. So, uh, how are you guys? What's going on in your lives today? I'm good. I, I'm just doing um, I'm doing some training for uh, coaching, for soccer coaching. That's what I'm doing. I'm coaching my soccer, my son's soccer team. So that's what I'm doing today. I was just doing this, all this stuff on like codes of conduct, you know, all that stuff. That's fun. But yeah, yeah. We just finished uh, rehearsing this weekend for the first time for uh, in a while for this upcoming tour. Uh, Bob was here yesterday and the rest of the guys were here. So that's kind of where we're, where we're coming from. You know, I hope that, um, you're teaching, you're going to be teaching your, um, you know, players to yell, yeah, 
when they score goals. <laughs> I'll be yelling, yeah. Uh, well, okay, good. That's true. <laughs> at least someone will be. Someone will. I'm uh, I'm just at my day job here, just taking some time off. <laughs> um, and, yeah, just having a, a, a decent Monday. I think, uh, you know, having practiced this past weekend with Chris and Todd and Damon, it's really – there's a spring in my step a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little Even bit. it's gray as hell – and it's like cold and it's Monday. I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. It went really well. It was really a lot of fun. Yeah. That's great news. How did it feel to be finally playing together after what is it now? Like seven years since the last braid show. Yeah. We were figuring this out. I think it might've been five, five. I think the last braid show was in 2016, but we might've only done one show that year. It was at the fest. Mm-hmm. So Five six years or at least. Well, if it was twenty sixteen. That's that's seven years. That's nuts. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it's crazy. It was. It it was like it. We were supposed to play in twenty twenty, but then COVID hit and all this other stuff, and so it was like everything got put on hold for a long time. So, uh, so it's kind of like exciting to have everything back to sort of in this normal state. So we can start pushing, pushing through and doing some of this stuff. And, and, you know, the 25 year anniversary happened right at the time when it's time to start thinking about playing again or, or what, what are we going to do? You know? So, so that was exciting. That's exciting too. Yeah. And on that note, um, you know, we're having this conversation because of the 25th anniversary of frame and canvas, the reissue, the tour. Um, and I feel like if we're going to get into the story of that album, we should also back up a bit. So uh, let me start by asking you each separately, before you knew each other, before Braid formed, what were some of your key experiences that made you realize you wanted to pursue music or specifically punk or hardcore or emo for the rest of your lives? Um, I mean, I, I could be sort of quick. I've been a, a music lover since like I was born, basically. My parents realized it right away and they weren't into music. I really liked top 40 stuff and I liked metal like in grade school and stuff. But that was just that seemed like rock star stuff. And I, whatever, I wasn't a kid. I didn't know what that meant. But it was just like unattainable for me. I can't shred like all of these people that are on stage. I don't look as good as them. I'm uncomfortable on stage. But then um, I was it was in um, the end of grade school when I started getting into more like hardcore and punk and so like minor threat, right? You like the metal, you might like minor threat or you might like, um, you know, bad brains or something like that. <clears throat> Started getting into that. And then it wasn't until I, I think it was just a random person in high school. When I got to high school, random person in high school knew someone that like kind of did shows in the area. So uh, when I realized that like there was like a scene, this was, um, I grew up in the city in Chicago, but then in high school, we, I moved to the Western suburbs and there was like a, a scene there where people were doing shows at like VFW halls and people's basements and stuff like that. And I would be able to go to the show and talk, actually talk to the people. And they were just as cool or as uncool as I was. And, um, they were interested in talking to me about like playing or whatever, whatever these people my age. And then one last thing, there was an all ages club named, um, mcgregor's uh in elmhurst that like every band like a lot of the bands that we got into the punk bands screeching weasel green day jawbreaker they weren't playing chicago they were playing elmhurst they were playing this place in um at mcgregor's 
Uh, it was an all ages. They did all ages shows on Sunday nights. And I, we, my friends and I went to every single one of them. And the bands we were playing were so cool and friendly. And like I said, wanted to talk. And that was when I realized, like, I could do that. Now I could do this. Yeah. Now I feel comfortable doing it. So yeah. that's, that's it. Yeah, I mean, you know, to really, I mean, my, my story is pretty similar to Bob's. You know, I grew up, you know, liking music. Sure, um, I, I played music and, you know, took some guitar lessons when I was young and, and didn't really stick with it. But I always kind of had, I had an electric guitar and an amp that I played. And I would try to learn how to play like, the Star Spangled Banner, like Jimi Hendrix, you know, because my my dad was really into like that 60s and 70s music, like Hendrix and stuff like that, Beatles, um, uh, Cream, you know, Creedence Clearwater Revival, all that, like all that stuff. And and he used to play it around when I was a kid. Again, same with same as Bob, like none of it really, like I didn't connect the dots, like, oh, that's a thing I want to do. It was just, I was just playing around. It was fun. And you know, I think we played in our in in the garage with a couple of people. Just, but there was nothing happening. We were just like, oh, you know, playing in the garage. Like, I remember the cops coming to my house, and if you, if you remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, they're like, oh, what is this, Wild Stallions? You know, and like, I remember us just like just like laughing because it wasn't at all like that, right? But, uh, but really, um, same thing, man. I got to high school, and you know, I was into like, you know. junior high, I was into like, you know, hair metal and, and, you know, all this stuff. And I was really into rap music. I had like, you know, I I would go to this, this, this blockbuster. Well, it used to be called Sound Warehouse. And I would buy like all the rap I could get. I was super into like Cool Modi and LL Cool J and stuff in in the late eighties. And then somewhere, somehow somebody was like, you know, I was, I started skateboarding and skateboarding was that really, that was that entrance into this whole culture that I was just totally unaware of. It changed me almost, I would say over a summer, you know, my friend who I was skateboarding with was like, Hey, um, check out. And it was literally minor threat. Check out this band. Right. And before that, it was like, I had the Bon Jovi tapes and Guns N' Roses and, and then all the, my rap stuff that I was into. And then overnight I was like, Holy cow, this what is this? I've never heard anything like this in my life. It totally was like, spoke to me. I got it. I understood. Like, I was like, what is this? And I would listen to this tape in the car on little vacations with my parents, like, you know, with my headphones on and in a cassette Walkman. Anyway, fast forward, I get into high school and, you know, the same thing. All of a sudden there are, there are people playing music and there's a scene and what? There's a basement show happening down the street with friends of mine playing in a band awesome. I'm going to go see that. And then like, we're just all hanging out. Like Bob said, after the show talking and some friends and I started a band and then all of a sudden we were opening for our friends band in the basement. And then the Western suburb scene was a scene I was aware of the scene that Bob's talking about because my friends bands were playing with those bands. And so we started to all of a sudden see that, that like I did that there was more than just playing a basement show here. We could go play a basement show or a VFW hall in a different suburb, right? Or in, in somewhere else. And they would come to our suburbs and, and we would just, you know, and then it blew up from there. It was like, wow, there's this band from DC coming through and we're going to play this show. What? This is a band I love, you know, like Lungfish came through or, or, uh, um, you know, Hoover. We see scene Hoover, those bands. And of course, Green Day came through and I was going to like the bigger shows in the city at the time. Like I was really into like new wave as well. Um, new Wave, like, well, like the cure and, uh, some of that, 
old um, shoegaze like Curve and and, and uh, you remember that that band Curve and what was that other band? Chris, um, there's a there's a new Depeche Mode record that came out last Friday too. I heard about it and I haven't listened yet. I listened I, to it. Half of it I think is really good. I listened to the Van Pelt today. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, it's. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. We're not say, giving our reviews here. We're not doing. No. But yeah, that was the same for me. So we, I started playing in bands and, and that's like, you know, and actually I found out about long story, really long to make a long story longer. Um, the friends that I was playing with and, and hanging out with were Captain Jazz guys. I went to high school with them and Bob was playing in friction over in, in the Western suburbs and those bands knew each other. And so I knew about Bob's band before I even met Bob for braid year like a year or two before so that was it, there was just this connection and, and that's really where all of this kind of came, came to fruition for us we met at college my first week at college went to go see braid play they played like you know a handful of shows left the show as a member of the band and then the rest is sort of history you know i remember roy r- running around going this is chris he's introducing a new you. yeah introducing me and i'm like what <laughs> what are you talking about you know, anyway, that was a long story, but yeah, that's sort of it. Yeah. No, that was great. Um, and yes, I mean, like you said, you went, you went to high school with, uh, the members of cap and jazz. Um, so like, here's just like your classmates and between you and them, I mean, it's like this whole, now what we look at is like this nationally important scene is formed like from people, I guess, who are just school friends. Yeah. Um, like when you were doing it at the time, like, was there any idea of like this could be important or was it straight up just like me and my friends hanging out doing something we love like i mean that's strictly i mean truly yeah like these guys are this is awesome i mean i remember when i remember going to see like cat and jazz play with other bands and we'd go to like other suburbs to see them and the other bands were still doing this like sort of chicago punk style like like bull weevils eight bark <clears throat> style you know and and it was cat and jazz was this unique it they were so unique that people didn't really latch onto them right away, but they started to. And I think once once I went away to, to college, I started to see that like, and still, I don't think people latched onto that whole scene until much later. It happened later. So I don't think so. I mean, for, for me, it was just exciting to go play somewhere else with other bands, see what other bands are doing and just hang out and be part of doing this thing that we loved. You know, I mean- that's what it was. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just add that it was very important to us. Like, it was really, really important to us. And we would see bands like Cap'n Jazz and Gage play, and it would be a Gage, huge, yeah. huge community get together, and everyone would go crazy. But if Gage or Cap'n Jazz were to play Minneapolis, there'd be nobody there. You know, and same same thing when Braid started. You know, there were, you know, we would go on tour, and we would do, you know, really well in a basement in Champagne or in a house in Champagne, but it'd be like, we really had to work hard at being relevant to people outside of, you know, our, our, our general area. I think. Yeah, and, and, you know, we had this influence and we were playing with some of the bands from different places that, that were into it, but, but it was really not like a, you know, we never, I don't, you know, we were just trying to do it, just have fun, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, to your point about cap and jazz sounding not really like, the other Chicago punk stuff. I mean, I would say the same for pretty much right off the bat with Braid. I mean, that first uh, seven inch, I feel like you kind of already tap into the sound that, you know, Frame and Canvas has. Um, what were like some of your influences at the time? Like, what were you sort of trying to either follow or react against or, you know, combine? 
I mean, for me, uh, when Braid started, I was really starting, that was my, my first time really playing guitar in a, in a band, but also like in general. So I was learning on the job, so to speak. Yeah. It really, so, and I think we were probably, uh, when, when, when Braid started, we were all sort of, we were all very self-taught, like, and Roy, yeah. our drummer at the time, was just had this really wild, unique style. And I had this wild, unique style just because I was kind of bad at, at playing guitar. But I was like, because of seeing a bit, seeing bands like Captain Jazz and Gage, especially seeing their guitar players play, I'm like, I want to play like that. Like I know he does these, you know, slides up and down the and does these weird chords and stuff. And, and I'm like, I'll learn some basic stuff from like this book, but like, otherwise I'm just going to mess around and try and make my, right. make my music sound like theirs. Um, and then, so I think it was just sort of the, all of us bringing that sort of, I'll say amateur energy, but you know, yeah. It, it altogether we were able to not uh you know implode we were able to actually create some things. Yeah, I mean we I I mean for for me too Bob the same thing you know we, certainly we were influenced by you know our friends and the bands we were seeing like Captain Jazz Gage yeah. um, but also we were heavily influenced by the DC scene you know well, yeah. like you know, we all listen to Fugazi, you know, religiously almost, if you will. Right. Yeah. And then a lot of Discord stuff. We'd all been listening to Discord stuff for, for a long time by then anyway. When I when I joined Braid, that was the first band that I really I played guitar a little bit in a band here or there. I tried to play guitar in a band in high school and I wasn't that good. So this guy would try to write parts for me and I couldn't even play him. I mean, so I had spent, I remember we, I went to a show with this guy and he was the only guitarist and I was, I used to just be a singer, I just used to sing in bands or yell or whatever. Right. And so we got to the show and this guy refused to play, to play a show. Right. And so the guitarist did because someone wanted to search his bag for alcohol and we were like straight edge. So he was like, Oh, I don't have alcohol in my bag. F you, you know? So I remember saying, I'm going to go home and learn how to play guitar because I don't want to have to deal with that again. So I would play guitar for like two, three hours every night in my senior year of high school, just every night played it. And it was just doing what Bob said, same stuff. I would just listen to what I heard and I play, I learned how to play by ear. Sure. I had musical training and stuff because I took clarinet and stuff in band and took some piano lessons here and there, but it was really just playing by hand, right? I knew the basic chords and I knew how to play a power chord, but it was just putting my fingers in different places and trying to sound, trying to make the guitar sound cool, you know, and, and do some cool, you know, chunky stuff and, and, and have, you know, throw some distortion on and kill it. So, um, but yeah. And then us like, we were all listening to that stuff, but we were also, because we were coming from this scene where there would always be these distribution district, like distros there, like someone would have this like small distro that would have this seven inch of like a band like Julia or a band like yeah, uh, set up like a table or, or a, show. Set up a table. And these, this is where you'd get your new music. I wasn't, we weren't listening to the radio. You know, there was nothing on the radio that we were that at that point that I was interested in. So everything I was getting was buying seven inches from bands that were playing with like, I remember driving to Sheboygan with, to see Captain Jazz with all of our friends and getting into like a bunch of bands that played that show shot maker and, I think Indian Summer and and some other bands buying the seven inches at the show and then and then being like this is what I'm into 
you know, this is awesome because it was unique. It was something stuff that I'd never heard of. And they were all coming, I think, from very similar backgrounds. Like, did we only listen to DC stuff? No, no, no. We listened to the Lookout Record stuff, right? We listened to the punk stuff. We listened to still listen to Bad Religion and, you know, Operation Ivy and Misfits, all that. So we grew up with all the punk, right? So, so I think, you know, it was all that, right? But it was really... For me, my influence was the people I was seeing on stage playing in basements and in small venues. That was influencing me because I was like, oh, I like how they do that thing. Let's do a thing like that. We would talk about it. We'd be like, oh, let's do a thing like this, you know? So like how, oh, that sounds like a, a this kind of a part, right? Where we'd be like, oh, that kind of sounds like this band a little bit. But you just put a part in that's like, oh, there's a cool break here, right? Let's do this. But we were also just trying to be trying to do fun stuff. We weren't trying to do three chord punk. We were trying to just do something interesting, right? And we were really interested in different time signatures. I know I, know I was, and so was Bob. So we all were, were you know. So just kind of like to continue that, like, you know, as Braid moves on um, with your career, you start to meet like-minded bands, like say the Get Up Kids or Raina Maria, right? And you kind of like, uh, tell me about, you know, once Braid starts getting more established, you're touring more, you have full length albums out and you're seeing like, oh, there's these other bands in like pockets of the country that we feel like minded with and, you know, we feel a kinship with and we want to do a split with them or go on tour with them. Like, and then you start to see like, oh, there's this whole community that we're part of. Yeah. You know, I think it was Damon or somebody recently was talking about this and just has just really nailed it in a way that for some reason it just didn't occur to me and that was like you know i was saying earlier that like we had to work kind of hard at not just being relevant in chicago um yeah or in the chicago area you know on our first record we put in the record like we want to be on your comp and you know maybe maybe it was i don't know it didn't seem like it was um on purpose or um you know something that we uh, we're planning on doing, but it's, that was sort of like our way of if somebody in Seattle or whatever was going to do a comp, we'll be on it. So that now all of a sudden, if, if there are a bunch of Seattle bands on that comp, now we're on it too. And they'll hear our band or same with, you know, you know, if we will do a split, we did, and we did this all the time, especially when we were, you know, starting out as a band, because we luckily we had access to friends who had recording setups at their house. So like, Hey, we're going to do split with Pogo or split with Beezus a split with, get up kids, you know, all yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, but we got, we get just wrote this new song. Let's go record it and send it to him in that way. And, but like in the, it didn't really occur to me, but like, now, nah, Hey, we just did a split seven inch with corn from DC. Now, when we go play DC, we'll play with corn and there'll be people there. Like, um, and they heard us. Right. And that yeah. means that when we come there with our records, because they're doing the same thing, they were doing the same thing that we were yeah. doing. I was playing seven inches at shows their scene was buying seven inches at shows. I was buying comps at shows with yeah. bands. I mean, the first, the way that I got into a lot of the Chicago scene was because I remember Tim Kinsella walking around the my high school with the Octune Chicago <clears throat> Spy compilation, which had, you know, Captain Jack's, Weevils, Eight Bar, Smoking Popes, Smoking Popes, all these bands on it, and that was my first exposure to all of it. And that, to me. That was an explosion that gave me my my the whole context for, for what we were what the scene was. I didn't realize it at the time, right? But but the fact that we would be on a comp out of Indianapolis or Florida or somewhere else, we it was like someone will have heard of us now. So if we go play there, 
because we're playing someone's basement, they're like, oh, you know, our friend's band's playing, but also you, I got that comp with this band Braid. You know, I'm going to go see them. The reason I went to see Braid play in Champaign the, or in Urbana when I went down there is I had a comp with Braid on it because Cat and Jazz was on it, you know? And also I knew Bob from his old band Friction because they'd played some shows together too. I didn't know him yet, but I knew of him, right? So, um, so that's why I went. I mean, it was because of this scene. You know, so that was that was how we also because there weren't like it was like giving people a mixtape back then. Right. You know, it was there wasn't a Spotify playlist that you could go get press and do all this stuff. That was what that was. Right. So that's kind of what that doing all those different splits and comps was. You know? um, so you were one of the first bands signed to Polyvinyl. And uh, I feel like Framing Canvas is one of the label's first major full length releases. Um how did that relationship come about originally? Yeah. Um, Braid began in Champaign-Urbana, which is like, you know, middle of the state of Illinois and just, just uh, east of Champaign is Danville, which is a smaller town. Um, but when we, when I got to Champaign and when Chris got to Champaign, those, there were this, those two scenes were sort of intertwined. There, there were people that were like skateboarding and stuff. And so um, it was really through skateboarding that, that, that yeah. those Knew, Todd and Roy knew Matt, Matt used to skate together. So Matt would come to Champaign. They'd go skate in Danville because Todd and Roy grew up down in that area. Yeah. Yeah. And so like Matt, I, Matt was literally, Matt literally booked the very first braid show that we played. It was in 1993 in Danville at a, you know, at Garfield park, like a park field house. Um, and he was doing a zine at the time, like everyone was kind of doing a zine. And then that zine became, you know, he did a like a record, or like a seven inch record or something that came with the zine. And then it became, well, I kind of want to do a label. Like he was really, really there from the very beginning. And so like when, you know, he developed sort of the infrastructure to make, to make a label, like we were psyched to be a part of, of that sort of growth or the beginning of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, I remember we had done some stuff with like, are you talking about like framing canvas or how did the, the original, you know, the original one, like, I think I'm afraid of everything they did. Yeah. They first did. I'm afraid of everything. Seven inch. And he was like, yeah, I, I want to do a seven inch. We're like, okay. Because we first of all said yes to everyone. Right. But also um, he put it out and he was super cool about it, you know, and he kept, he kept asking if we wanted to do stuff. Oh, you want to be on this comp? Yeah. Let's be on the comp, you know? And um, that's how that relationship started. And I'll just say it's like incredible that like, cause you know, that they're, they're thriving right now. Like mm-hmm. what yeah. they're, they're just so brilliant and on the pulse of like all of this cool new music. They were never, they never got pigeonholed into just an emo thing or the, or this other thing. Like they were, I just, I, I'm just so impressed by Matt and Darcy. I think in the beginning, maybe they did. Like the, at the very beginning, like after Framing Canvas or right before that, they were putting out Ryan and Maria. They were like reissued the Captain yeah. Jack and a bunch American of stuff. Football. Then they, yeah, American football. But then they started expanding. And, and of course now they're, they're, they're a real force. You know, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's like amazing to see. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm like 32. So I kind of came to the, you know, you had broken up already, but polyvinyl was like one of the first big things for like me and my friend group. We were just diving down like all the Kinsella bands and Braid, yeah. and Braid yeah. and Maria. And like, and then it was like this whole thing with like all these, but then all of a sudden it's like, wait, now they have of Montreal. 
you know and yeah. like and then that it was, was like from there just, it just kind of yeah yeah, 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 like, yeah, yeah i did the me. same thing with discord i remember like um getting zines or like maximum rock and roll or, or a scene like that that always had a discord ad i would buy anything discord put out so like really? when it would be like shutter to think right didn't sound like fugazi at all i'd be like Oh, I don't know. And then I'd be like, Oh, actually this is really cool. I like it. You know? So yeah, I'm, maybe the same thing happened with, with people that just were into polyvinyls, like curation for lack of a better word of like, yeah. cool music. I think that happened for sure. I mean, there was a lot of just like, I feel like really eccentric quirky bands on polyvinyl that like were big parts of the lives of people I knew. And it was just because it was like, kind of like you said, like probably on a polyvinyl comp at first or something. And, uh, and then, yeah, you just like get into it from there. So, yeah, they, I think they did a great job at like cultivating like an audience that would trust them. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And, I, and you know, they, I, I'll say one thing, you know, I, you know, Matt was like, yeah, we're going to put out the record and, you know, we're going to, it's going to be 50 50 split, which is, which is what we were used to. And, and that was, the, the way Framing Canvas came about was a whole other thing. We were ready to do another record. And I don't remember what we were doing. We were talking about, we didn't want to do it with the same labels we'd worked with before, you know. And I remember us talking about it and just being, you know, I, I at least I remember saying that, you know, Matt's been pretty good to us. He, he's put out this stuff. He's doing all right, you know, and he's, he, you know, let's talk to him. So I remember, I don't know where we went, Bob. Do you remember? It was some restaurant in Champagne. Coffee shop, I think. Yeah, yeah some place. Coffee shop. Kofi? Kobe? No. Maybe. Something like yeah, that. Kofi or something. We went to some coffee shop. With and him. Had, yeah, with Matt. We ended up signing the contract there and and uh, and um, doing it, you know, and I think because, and he was like, he was willing to pay for our recording. You know, he's like, I'll pay for it. And we had recorded everything for basically for free or to next to, for next to nothing. And he's like, yeah, I'll send you out to, to, you know, you know, Jay Robbins had expressed interest in doing the record. We had asked him and he's like, I'll pay for it. So we're like, you got it. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Hey, speaking of Jay Robbins, um, you know, you were talking before about being so into the DC scene. So, I mean, it must've been awesome to record at inner ear with Jay Robbins. Oh right? God. I mean, it was, like a dream. Uh, I mean, it so was like a dream that I never knew I had coming through. You know what I mean? Like, because it was so far out of reach, like to do something like that for me growing up, you know, that like, sure. We'd recorded at cool little studios here and there. And we recorded at Steve Albini's basement just for, you know, for something and, and stuff like that. But to go out to this place that was in my mind, just this iconic, place that was that put out so much you know every all these bands recorded in and then to be doing it with this guy jay robbins who i used to sit in my bedroom as listening to discord and and looking at the lyrics of stuff who's going to be you know producing and recording the record i was it was just like we've arrived this is it this is like the pinnacle you know that's what i felt like i remember feeling that way at the time like i can't yeah we were such i mean at least i was such a big jawbox fan even when we were recording i was still a little like starstruck yeah recording with like, him being in the same room as us was like yeah anyway remember you pointing out at one point him like air drumming to the song yeah, well. i was like oh my god you know like just being like stoked you know yeah. I mean, sort of fanning out a little bit you know fanboying out a bit so how did you guys originally meet Jay? They played a show in Champagne, right at Mabel's, right, Bob? I'm not, I mean, we might have met him. 
I don't know if we met him there. I remember seeing, I think they were on tour with Not A Surf then maybe. Yeah. But yeah. like, um, I it may I... have been through Corm actually, because we did go to, we played a show in DC at like a record, not a record, a radio station, but it was oh, yeah. outside of the radio station. Like Kim chatted a bit. I think we chat, I think Todd and I chatted with them at Mabel's. Okay. Very, okay. Very, and I think we handed him a record and that was the only thing that happened. You know, we ch- talked to Kim and maybe, little bit to jay because we were just like hi we're in a band we think you're great you know when we saw them and we that's the first time we met them go ahead Bob. but yeah we were also you know we were also friends with uh, the promise ring they had just recorded with him i think earlier that year or the year before they did nothing feels good and so like we had a, that connection as well so like promise ring could be like you know vouch for us or something, or something like that yeah, yeah. or and then also yeah. we could yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, what did uh, what did Jay like bring to the table for Brave that was new compared to making previous records? I think he mu- this might have been the first time when we were making our first two records. It was really just it was Chris and I, and it was pretty much all four of us having just a wild like wild ideas and like doing them. And then our friend was usually, it was, it was actually always this, our, our friend, Andrew, who is reco- basically just recording. He was like, you know, pressing buttons. He was the one that knew how to do it. This might have, when we were doing Frame and Canvas, it might've been the first time that we were working with a, like a real, I'm not, I, I hesitate to say producer, but like kind of a producer, but definitely a collaborator who was going to be like, you know what, how about this harmony? Like nobody had s- said that to us before and been like, and yeah. he's like a harm harmony master he like comes up with some really cool things and obviously he came up with some really cool um sounds and production ideas and yeah i remember him dialing in the guitars quite a bit like getting a a different like i was playing like uh the tone i was playing was not a tone i was used to playing uh like i remember him dialing it in so that there was less distortion but it was turned up and it just sounded so much better on record. He, you know, and he explained, he's like, you know, it's going to sound better if we do this, let me show you. And he dot, he turned the mid up and he did this. And I just remembered like being like, Oh yeah. I think it was also Bob, I think to your point, the first time someone cared a lot about what, what the output was going to be. Right. Um, Maybe it was the first time someone who's getting paid to record us. (laughs) That's also, and also we only, you know, it's been said many many times we only had, I think like six days to record it and mix it. So we had to like really work at it and not like mess around, which we used to do a lot with the first year. It's not like we went in there though. And, and like, we didn't have like, and we had a lot of time to be like, let's rearrange these songs and let's do an acoustic version. And let's do, you know, it was just like, we had been already playing those songs live anyway for a couple of them for like a couple of years, or at least a few times. A few, yeah. You know, some a couple were old, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Constellation Prize Fighter was, Urbana. was old. Urbana. And uh, to us anyway, you know, like a year. But we'd been playing it live for, for years. So we were super wow. dialed in. So it, we didn't need a lot of like, we didn't need to do a hundred takes. It was like, boom, because we, we had been, we'd toured on the way to get there. We talked yeah. about this. We've talked about this before, but you know, so, but it was really just, you know, the tones that he got, the, you know, I think he was just in it with us too. Like the energy was there. You could see he was air drumming. He was listening. Yeah, he was, like, I was like, it's more like a collaborator more than like a yeah, director. Yeah. He was like, 
he wanted to play the he plays the drums on at the end of breathe in like when we're all doing this like cacophony he like ran in and started playing the drums he's like i just love the, the energy we didn't we never worked with someone like that before yeah so that was fun that's amazing um so i know he also remixed and remastered the new reissue um i mean it sounds great like it sounds like framing canvas but like a little cleaner and more modern and like doesn't ruin the essence of the original which like you know i think sometimes when bands announce a remixed reissue fans might get like are you gonna ruin it um so i'm wondering like tell us about the decision to do a new mix like was there any sort of hesitation of like are we gonna taint this perfect thing like or this thing that was imperfect but that's what people love about it I think we were we were very cognizant of the fact that we didn't want to. I, well, Damon has said this to us. I think he was saying that when when Jay and he were talking, Jay had said something. Well, Bob, you can tell tell them tell them how it happened. But when Jay and he were talking about it after we'd agreed to do it, was like, you know, how far do you want me to go? Do you want me to go like all the way, like you know, because nowadays people are like throw in a little auto tune and maybe like tune the vocals up a bit, maybe redo, you know, should we redo guitars? And we were all, we were like, no, we're not going to do any of that at all. We're just going to just make it clean, mix it like you would now. Yeah, and the other thing that I remember that we, that we wanted to do is just, I don't want to give him any notes. I just want him to mix it. Just take a first pass, do it, do it like you would. Like if you were just going to mix it now, right? I'm sure he's listened to the record here and there and he knows the record because he mixed it, right? And and recorded it. But I wanted to have fresh ears for us too. I didn't want to go back and listen to Framing Canvas and go, oh, here, I w- you could bring my guitar up here and all this stuff. I wanted to hear a fresh take so that I could then give notes on that fresh take. That was the important, that was important to me. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. I agree with everything you said. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. We don't want. I didn't want to mess too much with what he maybe had been, and what maybe he kind of always wanted to bring to it. You know, after hearing it after the fact, I'm like, oh shit, I wish I had more time to work on it, or I wish I knew these other tricks or something, or this. I wish I had this knowledge or this unit here in my studio that would make that's going to really. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, yeah, we just let him do it. Yeah, we just were like, you know, just make it sound like you would make a new record sound today. That's all. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what it is. Like it, because I I put on the remaster earlier today, uh, and I, you know, I haven't heard the original in a while, but I went straight to the new one, and I was like, yeah, it sounds great. It sounds like I remember. And then I went to Spotify and compared it, and I was like, oh, I do hear the difference. But yeah, it just it kind of sounds like the songs you remember with like the type of production style or mixing style that your ears are just currently used to, you know? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah and, and I've said this and we've said it, it's like, you know, I don't, did it, did it need it? No. Is it fucking cool? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool. It sounds good. There are other pieces of there that are neat, right? There are some extra like, Oh, I, I'm, I'm glad that, that this, this, in this part of the song, it's a little more balanced, right? Or in this part, I can hear that thing that I didn't used to be able to hear or, or whatever it is, right? So there's some little, there's a few little nuggets in there that are like, oh, that's a little, I'm glad that's there now, you know? I miss, I didn't, I didn't hear that last time. Let's talk about the actual songs on Frame and Canvas. I feel like it's the Braid album that people tend to like the most. Um, what was different about this one when it came to writing it or recording it? Like what, what were you hoping to achieve that Braid hadn't before? Um, you know, it, we really didn't go into the recording process 
thinking that we were going to be making um we definitely didn't think it was going to be our last album at the time um but we weren't also thinking we were going to make some like i don't know statement i I would what braid usually would do and it was just the way we worked was we wrote a bunch of songs we were like okay it's time to do a new album we've got some songs let's write a few more songs go out and play them and then that's going to be the album we'll just set up a good order for the songs and make it sequence and flow well um and uh yeah, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> no, well, but but there was nothing special about to us. There was nothing special about this record that was yeah. different than the other records, right? It's not like we came to this record going, "Let's make our best record" or whatever. Like, I mean, a, a, to, I think every recording we did, we just went in going, "We're going to record this, and we're going to it's going to be awesome. We're going to have fun, and, and we're going to put it out, and people are going to like it." I hope you know. And you know, and I, I don't want to downplay it too much, but maybe this will. But whatever, like. I think the fact that we broke up kind of soon afterwards and then didn't really get back together and, you know, for over 10 years, I guess. No, 10 years. Yeah. We're saying like, so we broke up. And so the, that was the last album other than movie music, which kind of didn't count, but yeah, it was the last sort of thing that people had to listen to. And so think of, you know, think of examples like Sunny Day Real Estate or American Football, like these bands that have put out like their last record. And because it was the last one, it's the one that the, the one, the last one that everyone can listen to over and over and over again. And then it was like more anticipation towards like, I want to see these songs play live finally. Um, so I think that probably helped, you know, sort of the, the, the I, legacy. The legacy I was trying not to say legacy, but yeah, like of that record or whatever, just like the staying power of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I have, I, I, I've read this thing, I think, in maybe various interviews or corners of the internet that maybe that you had like this sort of friendly competitive nature on this album with like maybe bands you were friends with like promise ring and get up kids or like proving yourself to the older champagne bands like hum or something like, um, would you elaborate on, on that? I don't think we were really concerned too much about the champagne bands like hum or poster children. They were a little more, I mean, when we, when we got there, that was like kind of like the college rock scene they were a little older. We couldn't even get into those shows when we were, you know, cause it was 19 and over yeah. or whatever. And they were all on major labels at the time, even at that, even at that time. So they were a little like, we loved it. It was cool. And, you know, we were kind of friends with them, but like, it was sort of, it, you know, it was like it, tangential it, it was, to us. It was separate. Yeah. It was, this, um, it was a whole other scene. Right? But that in was. terms, yeah. In terms of like competition, maybe, but I think probably it was more like we just, we're egging each other on like, That's Oh my right. God, Captain jazz going on tour for six weeks. We got to go on tour for, you know, six weeks or, or, or promise ring is doing this. Like, well, we got to, we got to do that too. Um, or like do yeah, or, something or, like that. Yeah. Or, or, or we, uh, or someone's going to Europe. Like we, we, how do we get over to Europe? Yeah, Let's do totally. And and it, it, it's, it's like an extension of like what we talked about. What I think we talked about earlier was like, when you see that there are shows happening in another suburb, well, how do I go over there and do that? You know, like what's but this? Also, but also we, we, we can then use some of their contacts too, right? Oh, Promise Ring went and did this. Oh, great. Like what's that person's number? <laughs> like, so we can go, go do that. Or like you said, you had a great show in Montreal. Let's find, give us that number, you know. Who, who, did, who did the show? Yeah. And, and, and we did a lot of sharing like that anyway. But I, I do think if, if I look back at the, that time, I don't think that that, competitiveness was necessarily there. I don't think it was super competitive, but there was like a, um, um, 
you know, like when we heard that 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 Promise Ring had recorded with Jay Robbins, like, and then we were going to do it, it was like, oh yeah, we should do that, you know. Um, and and I also think that um, when we saw people do, and I'll say this, I'll say the kind of the same thing I said before is that when we saw people doing something cool live, like. We, we wouldn't straight up rip off, rip it off, but but we were influenced by that, right? So if Promise Ring did something cool or Get Up Kids or Karate or, you know, all these other bands that we had been playing with or June of 44 or Crown Hate Ruin or all these bands were doing these interesting things, those little, those little nuggets really all influenced us. Like, God, that's so cool how they do that. We should do a thing like that. And I don't know that it was always conscious, certainly, but there was sometimes like, oh, you hear that part that we're just doing? That kind of sounds like this. Let's do a thing where we add a little break here. We do a little extra extra beat because that'll make it cool. It'll throw people off, but we'll keep it you know, steady. Just all this, you know, it was playful. There was I, I feel like we were all throwing stuff around, not only influence-wise, you know, but also help-wise, right? Oh, we had this good show here. We should do this. Hey, you guys should come play here with us because of this. So th- while there was like, you know, friendly competition when we would play like with Get Up Kids in like Kansas City and the crowd would go crazy for them. And then, you know, uh, and be like, ah, there's Braid. They're, they're pretty good. You know, like I remember leaving the stage after some of those shows being like, oh, man, that wasn't our crowd, you know. But and then being like going into Champagne and people being like, oh, Braid, you know, you guys are great or wherever. Chicago, Planet Metro and, and being with other bands. Right. Um, or at the drive in blowing us off the stage. uh opening for us at Fireside Bowl and being like, fuck, how are we going to follow that? You know? Um, so, so there was, you know, so there was some of that, but you know, I think we were having Jay Robbins do that, that record and doing it in her ear to me, maybe, maybe in some way legitimized what we were doing a little bit too. Like this is like, you know, you, maybe you should pay attention to what we're doing. We're doing some cool stuff, you know? So that may be part of it too just i guess a little bit related uh well how did you feel when you first heard like say nothing feels good i mean like being that the one that they did with jay and that was kind of a huge step up for them and you know i only know that record as like an iconic important on every emo list album so how did that sound in 1997 you know really slick but like i'm not saying that in a in a disparaging way it was really cool and the other thing the other album that like really just blew me away was clarity like first hearing clarity i was just like they're just taking it to a different level. Now they're just showing off. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. like, um, I, I thought it was, I remember hearing clarity and thinking it was too slick. Like, I, I don't like this production because we weren't used to stuff sounding good. Yeah. Right? right. We were used to it sounding like, like it sounded like muffled and, and whatever else. Right. And, uh, and stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you mentioned this of course being the last braid record for many, many years. Uh, why did braid break up after, you know, releasing such a monumental album <laughs> it, you know it, it's funny because I, you know i don't i don't want to belabor the the, the the point but that like we didn't really think we we were happy with the album but we weren't like this is monumental like we we need to get out there and play like it got to the point i think and chris can jump i'll, I'll shut up here in a second but like we had been out on the road for so long with each other, like for 24 seven. And we, for a while we lived together in Champaign. Um, and I think, you know, there were shows after Raymond Campus came out that weren't really that great. And we were arguing and just weren't getting along because just, I don't know, things weren't 
working in the way we kind of wanted them to, especially after like touring nonstop for like kind of two years. Um, but yeah, so I think we just needed time away from each other. I think. Yeah. No, I think no I personal think, space at all. Not a thing. No. Yeah. I mean, you know, we knew each other's, and I, I think I've said this, I don't know when the last time I said it was years ago, but we knew each other's quirks, man. I knew Bob's quirks. I knew everybody's quirks and they all, you know, everybody drove everybody nuts, you know? I mean, uh, and, you know, if, had I known now what I, you know, had I known then what I know now, we would have been like, oh, maybe we should take a, you know, a six month or a year hiatus and see what happens and not make this, this decision and whatever. But, you know, I remember thinking like, well, there's scenes like our scene, there must be other scenes out there like this that, that are, that have like, other booking agents and all this stuff. Like we let's go explore what those are. Right. Um, and, and, and we had taken it. I, I think I remember feeling like because some of these shows were not great. Right. And, and like, when is this ever going to get easier? Right. And it didn't feel like it was going to get easier. Right. And I, I just, I remember feeling just stuck, you know, um, and, and you know, and, and that came out in various ways, right? In not unhealthy ways, you know? And so, you know, I think we all just had had enough and, you know, these guys were like, yeah, dude, <laughs> that's enough, you know? So, um, but that's, that's, you know, I, we, we recorded those last, uh, the last three songs we recorded were, um, what were the songs? Please Drive Service Faster. Stars, Please Drive Faster. And, You're lucky uh, to be alive. You're lucky to be alive. And though that was going to be the demo for the next record. And we were in the studio and, and as soon as that mix was done, we're like, let's go outside and have a meeting. You know, I think we were just even in the studio, just driving each other nuts. And so we went outside and we were just like, you know, and I, I had been, you know, I, I didn't go to like, uh, I was starting to kind of fade out for whatever reason. Cause I was just getting frustrated, I think. And I was late to a show in fucking Louisville for crazy fest. I'm, I didn't mean to be, I wasn't trying to be, but I was late. So braid set up on the stage, Bob and Todd and Damon got all set up, set up my gear. I missed the set time. So they let us play the next day. And like, it was just, that was like, that was like, okay, there's something wrong. Right. And I think we just sort of buried that for for a little bit and then it just came out all at once in the next while we were while we were doing that i i hate I, I hate that that happened but you know what i mean everything everything else wouldn't have happened you know otherwise i think we all did some other cool stuff afterwards so um but you know it's really fun to be playing all this stuff again and and, and back together we've all stayed friends which is awesome you know there was a time where we didn't talk that much for a couple of a year or two but I, I remember going to see Hey Mercedes at one point in Chicago and being like, hey, I just want to say hi, I'm here, you know. And so that's we started being friendly again. And, you know, that's kind of what happened. I think it's important that we wrote, got together and wrote and released another album, too. I think that yeah. was something that I don't know, I'm very proud that we were able to do it. We're not just and like a jawbreaker, right? Like they're, they're going to play the same songs. There's no new songs as far as I know. I hope there are new songs, but yeah, but like, not it's to pretty important. Maker, no, God, no. <laughs> Huge influence on all I am so sorry, but yeah. yeah. No, but the truth is too, you know, it's like, I think what, what's interesting is it allowed us in 2010 to open a new, little new chapter, right? What are we going to do next, right? 
Um, we're going to get back together. We don't want to keep playing the same old songs forever. If we're going to keep doing this, right? Should we write some new stuff? And so we'll see, you know, I mean, whenever we get together, we, we sometimes talk about, Oh, should we do stuff? Yeah. We haven't decided to do anything yet, but it doesn't mean we won't, you know? Yeah. Awesome. And you know, for what it's worth, Jawbreaker have said, maybe new music might happen. Yeah. So we'll see. <laughs> cool, cool. We'll see. Um, I'm all, I can't wait. I'm yeah. All here. Yeah. Um, and you know, oh. if they wanna, if Blake wants to reunite Jets to Brazil, that would also be cool with me. You know, of like, course it would. A lot of people yeah. would like that. <laughs> um, so uh, I mean, I have like a few points I want to follow up on, but uh, let's go to so you know, Braid breaks up, and I, I felt like at that point it was a little bit of like an end of an era because like you know, Braid had broken up, like Mineral had broken up, Knapsack had broken up, yeah. Jimmy World got dropped from their label. Um, but then it's like fast forward two years and Jimmy world is like the biggest band in the world. And then emo is like this popular thing. Um, what was your reaction to that happening and kind of being like, wait, like this thing we were part of for three years later is now like the thing. Maybe we could be part of, I mean, you had Hey Mercedes and Firebird band at that time. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Hey Mercedes maybe latched a little bit more onto that, like did tours with like dashboard saves the day Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, what was kind of going through your minds when you're <clears> like, wait, we, we and our friends helped make this thing. And now it's like on television. I, I thought it was cool. I was very, I mean, like, and to this day, you know, I have family members that are like, Oh, aren't you pissed that blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's like, no, you know, whatever. Like I'm, I'm fine with it. That, that bands like I don't know, Fall Out Boy or somebody could be like, yeah, we like Braid. We, you know, we're influenced by Braid or Paramore or something like that. Like, fuck yeah, that's awesome. Like, and I don't, you know, you, you're, you know, you're right. Hey Mercedes was on Vagrant, so we were able to be a little bit in that wave of it, and never, you know, so we weren't necessarily like, oh God, I wish Braid was still together, so we could be a part of this. And I'm, you know, would we have been a part of it? I don't know. You know, there's all this like. Well, maybe, maybe we wouldn't have, maybe we would have, I don't know. But like, we never second, I, whatever, I never really second guessed the, that sort of decision. And, and as far as that music becoming more popular, like I, when I first heard the Fall Out Boy song on the radio, the Sugar We're Going Down, I was like, man, this sounds like our, like our era. And it's on, it's, it's, it sounds like our era, but it's maybe a little more produced, but it sounds like a song I could really, I would have loved, like, and maybe, you know, I do like that song. So like, that was cool, but I never, it was more of like, a, oh, that's clearly influenced by Braid and I'm fine with that, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, at, at the time, I think I, I remember being like, oh man, like, listen to this shit. This shit's like blowing up. Right. And, uh, and I was I was on a different label. I was on Cargo Headhunter at the time, and I was trying to do something different, right? I was trying. I, I was actively trying to do something. I was like, I already did that. I'm going to try something different, and it worked. You know, it worked to whatever degree it worked, right? Um, you know, people came and it was fun, but um, certainly didn't didn't work to the same degree that like you know Paramore or those bands did years later, right? Or you know, I don't know when My Chemical Romance came out. It probably. 2003 yeah, or after that yeah yeah after that but like that that stuff when i started to see this stuff blowing up like jimmy rolled the bands that we used to like that used to open for us like and at the drive-in blew up like pretty much right after we broke up at the drive-in really shot you know 99 2000 they blew up 
And I just remember thinking like, you know, at the time, at the time I was like, you know, fuck this shit. I'm done with this shit. I was going to go back to school. I was going to do this band, you know, and, um, you know, is there a part of me that thinks about that sometimes? Like, Oh, I wonder what, well, sure. I mean, I can't, I'm not going to lie. Right. But I'm not sitting here like pining for like, Oh man, did I ruin my life? You know, no, I got to have, you know, things are good. And it's, it's nice for me, like look what, what Bob said, I think it's, you know, it's You're nice. An important soccer coach now. Yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> well, you know, but it's nice for me to hear, to hear people, you know, our name gets dropped quite a bit here and there and a lot of things, you know, and, and, um, you know, it's nice to know that we had, that we do, and I think we do still have an influence on, on this scene, you know, and so, and that we did have such an influence. I think that's where I, where I feel good about it, you know, like, oh, man, this, you know. And we toured so much, right? So I think a lot of those bands were able to maybe come see us play and see us sort of like jump around like idiots on stage. And maybe that had something to do with, it. you know, it, it's like all cyclical, right? Cause this is why we wanted to be in a band, right? We saw right. this band come through and we're like, oh my God, that I need that amp and I want that guitar. And I love the way he, or that person, like. Yeah, I love their stage presence. You know, it's yeah. like, oh, they're having so much fun. Like, they're so much fun to see. We need to be like a must see band because it's so much fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I think, like, yeah, I, I agree uh, to your point, Chris, like Braid's legacy continues um, to influence bands and like just, you know, when that stuff all blew up, like Braid and a lot of your peers were just instantly the bands that, you know, younger listeners like me were told like, well, this this was important, you know, because like it was I, I think it's like this funny, like double edged sword with the word emo because so many people hate it. But the thing about it getting so big is that when it did like there were a lot of other people who were like, well, if emo is important to you, you got to go right to braid and to cap and jazz. And like, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, anyway, I'm just kind of rambling, but no, no, no. It's, um, cool. it's cool because what I'm hearing you say, right. Because you're of a different era. Right. And so what I'm hearing you say is that the same kind of stuff that happened to me, right. I wasn't around when minor threat was around. Right. But someone showed me Minor Threat to, to, because I was getting into like, I heard Bad Religion and heard about Peg Boy and heard about these bands. They're like, you should listen to this, right? And and then we went to the source, right? Now, Minor Threat's a little bit different. They had a little, you know, a lot, uh, probably a heavier influence on on everything than, than we ever did. But it's nice for me to, to feel, because I, I think about bands like, that influenced me, like the Big Boys or, or, or Minor Threat or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I know in my head and in, 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 you know, and from reading stuff online or whatever, seeing articles that we're that band for other people, you know, that, that got people into to this kind of stuff. And honestly, that's, that's like, that's more important than I ever thought we'd ever be, you know, like back then or, or anything else, you know, so. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's just like, you know, the trajectory that a lot of music fans take is like, I love this thing. So I want to see who influenced it, where it came from. And then now I love their influence and I want to find their influence. And like, right. I mean, that's why minor threader is still big with like teenagers today. Cause it's like, yeah. I don't know if you're getting into, I don't know, Hardcore. machine gun Kelly or something, then like maybe somebody tells you like, 
you know, he's doing like pop punk with Travis Barker, but then Travis Barker loves minor threat. So, you know, I don't know, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So at what point did you start to realize like frame and canvas was a record that kind of did have a legacy that people were talking about as this important influential album? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I know that. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was probably polyvinyl where, because polyvinyl is, in addition to them being like amazing, they're, they're very on top of things. So, and when I mean that, I mean like business wise. So they'll, will send you like, here's what you've been selling. Here's what, you know, your royalties for whatever, like they're so on top of it. Like they're just, they're like a, a dream label to be on because yeah. you're never like, well, wait a minute. Like what? They're so transparent to the, sweetest people ever they want to help they're super fun they're very like um supportive um you know maybe it was that you know them saying like you know people are listening to this more we want to do maybe a reissue of it on a colored yeah, vinyl think- we want to do like a, a yeah picture disc and we were like oh okay people are really liking it and then i think um that the american football thing happened before i don't know but, but we then it became the time to do i think like the 20 or 15 year anniversary 15, of frame yeah. canvas yeah. and that's when we were like let's let's do that and it was right after that that we um did no coast yeah i think I we decided like oh yeah we, we did the tw- it was it must have been 2013 because that would have been f- 15 14 years right 15 years yeah, fifteen. So we were doing that, and that I think mean, you know we had we had already kind of started hanging out. Bob and I started DJing together and hanging out, and, and I was living in the city, and he was too. And you know we're both single and ready to mingle. And uh, he <laughs> <laughs> he was he was DJing. He's like, you got to come DJ this emo night. It's kind of fun. And people would come out and and know that we were DJing. They'd come out and hang out, you know. And that was another thing, you know. And then. Then around that time, 2010-ish, some of these, like, you know, some of these lists started popping up, like best emo albums of all time and stuff. And we started seeing that stuff like here and there. And and Framing Canvas would always be on those lists. And I was like, oh, what? You know, like, wow, you know. Um, and if it wasn't on the list, somebody'd be like, why the fuck isn't Framing Canvas on here? Right? I mean, I'm I, not for not me, but somebody else, right? And I would see that one of your yeah, one of your pseudonyms, your troll my, pseudonyms. My, yeah, right, right. My dad, no, um, but but anyway, yeah, man. Um, so you know, I, I hope it continues to resonate, and we're gonna go out and play it soon. And uh, it's super fucking fun to play, man. It's super fun to play, and I still feel like the songs are are good songs. I like playing them. They're they're and and. I feel it like I felt it, you know, back then. So, I mean, different. I mean, I'm not the same person I used to be, but, you know, I'm a totally different person. No, uh, no, but, uh, you know, just different, you know, but it's, but, but it's, uh, I'm rambling now, but it does feel good. We played and we played it this weekend. It's super fun to play. And it, I, I'm just excited to get out there and like drop it on people's heads, you know, kill it. And I'll I'll say that I need to start like running on a treadmill or something We're like that partying. because because yeah. yeah. <laughs> I could see I I need to bring you know whatever I need I can't be hobbling around every night on stage 
you know, got to bring that energy out. Yeah. Well, you guys were a killer on the last reunion tour. I, I think I saw you maybe two or three times. Awesome. Um, Thanks. Yeah. So, nice. Um, so just kind of one last uh, bit on that influence note. So like, uh, you know, like we had kind of said, like this emo explosion happens. Braid is like kind of one of the forebears. Then you get like the late 2000s, early 2010s, the whole sort of emo revival thing where I feel like you have these bands really even more directly tapping into what, you know, you and a lot of your peers were doing. Um, and that's when you come back with No Coast. So, um, and you, you put it out on Top Shelf, which I feel like is a label that really took after Polyvinyl in a lot of ways. And you did it with Will Yip, who kind of was like the guy for like this era. You had like a split with Balance and Composure around that time. So were you sort of looking at the new generation of bands and being like, oh, hey, they're kind of doing it like we were doing it in the 90s a little bit, like taking it away from that? Well, oh, yeah. You're shaking your head. Right. <laughs> I, I was going like this. And you're nodding. He's like shaking this. Yeah. Like, For me, I mean, I, I, I could hear it in some of those new bands. Like I, I can hear it, right? I, I'm like, oh, that's a that's a brain part, you know, or whatever, right? And, um, but I, that's not why I did it, right? That's not why I don't think we did it. We we had gotten together and been hanging out. We were, we did that EP with Jay Robbins. Then we did that Framing Canvas tour, and it was like we should just write a new record, right? Let's do a new record. And maybe maybe there was maybe in the back of my head there was some other like, oh, this is kind of people are doing this now. Maybe this makes sense to do it right now, but um. From my perspective, it was just like, well, let's just do this. We're, we're, we're doing this. We're excited about it. But, you know, maybe if email had gone and died somewhere and nobody was interested in that style of music, maybe we'd be thinking differently. I don't know. I can't yeah, the, you know, the maybe a little different point, like the thing that I, I obviously Chris and I had started hanging out. We were going to be doing these framing camera shows. We started writing songs. We, Chris and, or I'm sorry, Todd and Damon were on board. Yes. We're going to, let's do a new record. I was very, very concerned that it was going to sound like four old dudes, like trying, trying, not even trying their best. You know what I mean? Just like, Right, just we called the album No Coast because we didn't want to sound like four dudes like coasting through like we're gonna to try to do the reunion circuit now or something like that or or pretend like we're part of this. Like so it was really important that we wanted the album to have an energy that of like the our, our youth. Um I'm not saying we did we weren't capable of that. We were, but it's just you know, we're just we were just older and you know, I just didn't want us to become complacent or lazy. And so, and I'm not saying working with Jay, if we worked with Jay Robbins on No Coast, we wouldn't be lazy. We would have been like, but we maybe, maybe we would have been more comfortable. Like, but so that's why, um, that's one of the reasons at least why we considered Will Yip and then went with Will Yip because he was like excited to do it. And like in the new, like a, a new sort of voice, working with all of all of the, these new bands and you know that's we kind of wanted to push ourselves in that way and and maybe you know frame and canvas sounds the, urgent because we had to do it really fast um and like i don't know it was important to me at least that to not make no coast sound like you know like ugh. they probably could have done without you know yeah, that's right doing this like we were cognizant of that we yeah. were very of making sure that this record was of no coast that no coast was going to be 
a record in its own right and not just like, oh, let's just throw a record out there, right? We wanted to make sure. And to be honest, we didn't have a whole lot of time for No Coast either. I no. mean, it wasn't like we had, you know, a month and a half. And we had maybe like two or three times as much time from Frame and Canvas, like maybe 10 or 15 days instead of five, right? So yeah. it's still there's still a frenetic pace there to, to the way that we did that record. I mean, you know, uh, are there new techniques we used and things like that for, for guitars and things like that, like more modern ideas and stuff? Sure, sure. But um, but yeah, I guess... I guess you're right, Bob. When we talk about why we went with Will Yip and stuff, that was part of it. We wanted, and the, the other reason we went with Top Shelf was we wanted to go. I remember who, we had a manager at the time that was saying, you know, I think I think at the time Polyvinyl was leaning away from some of the emo stuff, yeah. doing other stuff, and so I think our Polyvinyl and us had a conversation and. We were talking about, should we do it with someone else? And our manager's like, maybe you do it with Top Shelf because they're doing a lot of bands that are doing this Twinkle Core style and this other stuff. You know, and I don't know if it was just Twinkle Core stuff, but anyway, like that kind of style. So that's the other reason we went with Top Shelf at the time because, you know, really Polyvinyl was leaning away from that stuff, right? And so- And we um, spoke to them. We had conversations. Yeah, Yeah, it wasn't like we were like, see you later. And they were like, see you later. We had conversations about it too to be open. So yeah, I guess there was some, we were kind of aware of that whole, this, we got to go to the, to the right places to do this instead of like just dialing it in and be like, Oh, cool. Here we go. You know? So, mm-hmm. But even also just outside of like why you made those decisions, I guess another thing I was sort of wondering too, is like um, just seeing bands like, you know, you, you use the word twinkle core, like seeing bands do that stuff again and do it on this DIY level um, you know, did you feel any sort of like, Hey, like we have a lot in common with these bands, maybe more so than we ever might've with fallout boy or something. Oh, for sure. It was, it's, it was, to be honest, it's like, it was taking what we did, but, but making it new and cooler and definitely more virtuos, virtuosic, virtuos, whatever. There was more yeah. virtuosity with like these bands that were doing like tapping and all that stuff, which is like, I can't do that. Like, but it was, it's really cool. And also them bringing that to the table. It's not like they were trying to emulate fallout boy or like some of the band, like Paramore, some of the bands that were big at the time or whatever. They were like, that's cool. We want to do the captain, like a captain jazz, uh, a play on captain jazz and braid and do this and yell a little bit and have it be a little discordant and do some weird time signatures and play the hell out of like, I don't, I can't even, watch yeah. them play guitar without being like i don't even know what i don't even know how to do it <laughs> and like yeah, you know, I, all these messed up tunings and stuff but like um so yeah i as i i yeah I, i'm impressed by it for sure yeah, awesome. and i do think that diy level like you 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 brought this up the other day we we're talking about that top shelf show that we did in uh at the fest um in 20 when was that 2013 maybe or ish we were going to do this. We did this top shelf um, show after fe- the fest in Florida. And it was in like a parking it, garage, like by a parking garage or, or like, like a storage in, garage, a storage garage in the middle of nowhere in like the swamp, right outside of pitch Gainesville. Black, yeah. Pitch black. And like, they had a power generator for the bands and we were like, this is like, this is so old school. This is so going to be so fun. We got there. We got set up. We're like, all right, we're next. It's going to be awesome. And we set up, we were like one note into the first song and the cops show up. So, it, you know, 
it was definitely DIY style, you know, and the bands that were around like that same, it was the same, literally the same feeling that we used to have in 98, 97, 96, when we were doing shows like that. So yeah, that scene was, that scene was back then, like at that time back and it was super strong. And I think it probably still is there. I'm just not around it very much these days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's been really fun. Uh, do you guys have anything else you want to add before we head out? Just, I'm excited to see everybody again. Yeah. Really excited to get out, get out and play and, and, uh, happy to like be on stage and, and, and killing it for everybody. You know, I, I'm, I really can't wait to see everybody. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Thanks again to Bob and Chris. Thanks for listening. Go listen to Frame and Canvas if you never have. I can't stress enough how important and influential and amazing this record is. You can pick it up on white, clear, and blue splatter vinyl in the Brooklyn Vegan store. It's limited to just 300 copies. It's the original mix of the album, so get that while it lasts. The link is in the description of this episode. And hey, if you like what you heard, give us a good rating. It only takes a little bit and it goes a long way. Tell your friends about us. Subscribe. Any little bit helps. It's uh, it's really, really appreciated. Thanks so much and see you next time.